Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. lesson by stating that the week before, Brother Rayleigh had preached all over his sermon. You remember that? So I kind of have that same idea. So then last week, Brother Williams preached all over my lesson. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, this month's series has been Mary, Did You Know? And so somewhat it's been overlapping each week. And that's okay because each person has just really brought an individual and a unique perspective to the topics that are in this lesson. Um, so we've talked about pondering the promise and trusting God and remaining faithful. And today's lesson is about receiving the promise of God. So receiving the promise of God. And I can tell you, we could talk probably the next two hours or longer about the promises of God. It is a vast topic. We could talk all day long about which promises that we're holding on to and which promises that um, are our favorites. Um, we could sing songs about standing on the promises of God or, or every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. <laughs> but as I prayed and I studied this week, I couldn't help but to think about the season that we're in, meaning the Christmas season, the holidays, the most wonderful time of the year. And I was wondering, no one just said bah humbug, right? Okay. All right, but <laughs> um, are there anybody that, that you could say, this is my favorite time of the year? I love the holidays. Good, great. And so there are a lot of people that just love it. And we wear the red, I got my red on. Um, always black and white, but red today. And um, some people love the holidays, but some people also feel like this is a little bit more stressful. They understand what the hustle and bustle is all about. There's busy, everything is busy, um, not just schedules, but the roads, and so it becomes a very stressful time of year to some, and some even have a genuine sadness around the holidays. The term holiday blues is actually a, a real term, and so some do have holiday blues, and then there are some, hopefully not in here today, are some Scrooges, or the Grinch. But however you feel around this time of year, and no matter what you're going through right now in this season of your life or what's even going on in our world, there is one promise of God that I pray today that you will be encouraged and reminded of, and that is the promise of peace. I think that when the, promise, or when the prophet Isaiah had prophesied Jesus' birth, one of the names that he called him, and I don't think that it was coincidence, but he said he is the Prince of Peace. And that Jesus made that promise in John 16, that in him we have peace. And Paul called it the peace that passes all understanding. So I wonder before we even get started, can we just leave the stress, the worries, the anxieties of this season, just leave it aside 
for just a minute and just pray and invite the Prince of Peace into this place. Lord Jesus, I love you, God. I thank you, Lord, for the promise of who you are, God. I thank you, Lord, for every promise, God, that you have. I pray, God, that your presence, God, and that your peace, God, would be with each and every one of us today. Lord, I love you, God. I thank you, Jesus, Lord, for being our wonderful Savior, for being a mighty God and our everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. God, Lord, I ask God, Lord Jesus, that your anointed word, God, would be spoken today. That, Lord Jesus, we feel your presence. God, throughout this place, we need you, Jesus. Lord, like never before. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. So a promise. A promise. When we think about a promise, we think about what that means, like an agreement or a commitment or a pledge, a vow, a compact or a covenant. Those are some words that we think about when we think about promises. A promise typically is involved with two different parties, sometimes more. But there's always at least two parties. There's somebody who is bound to that promise, that promise maker. And then there's someone who's got the other side. I have the right to expect or to claim the promise that someone else is bound by. And so I would pretty much probably assume, I think it's probably safe to assume that Everybody here has been on either side of the promise being made. Have you ever made a promise? Have you ever received a promise? Have you ever received one of the ones in the mail? You know, the ones that you get an envelope and it says, it's very confidential or it's very important, do not destroy. And you open it up and it says, you are the lucky winner of this huge prize. Right? You know, they sound good. But you know it's not true. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, it's not even in the mail. I think I get more by phone than I do by mail anymore. Um, sometimes this person called Spamrisk calls my phone, and I say hello, and they say congratulations. And before I have the chance to say for what, they're just going on about how I've won a cruise or, or something to Spamrisk. And so I've, I've, it happens so much that it really almost minimizes the significance of a real promise. And really it makes us skeptical to the fact that I just blocked that caller because I don't want spam risk to call me back. But have you ever received a promise and you've doubted it? Your promises in the old times have been given by shoes and, and by handshakes and so many different ways, but have you ever received a promise you're like, well, I, I don't know about this one. <laughs> for For 18 years of my life, my my job, I, I got paid to, do, to make promises to pay. And so much of my life was on, will this person pay it back? And I had to make judgment calls and decision making. And there were times where I was giving somebody else's money on faith. <laughs> this person, <laughs> come on, don't let me down. But many times, if you've ever received, a, if you've got a promise and you've doubted it, so many times you were probably right. Again, it's that skepticism. And have you ever had a promise broken? Or maybe even broken a promise? It happens. It doesn't feel good. It's not a good situation. But we try to learn from it and not make those mistakes again. But today we want to talk about a little bit different type of promise. And that's God's promises. And to me, God's promises are a lot different. Amen. 
Because people and situations and feelings, they can change. Those are all fickle things that can change by the minute. But God's promises, they're not going to change. The Bible says for all the promises of God and him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. There's a purpose for his promise that his glory would be coming through us. They don't change. God's promises can't be taken away. They can't be broken. They can be trusted. So you don't have to be skeptical about a promise that God has made. You don't have to doubt it or question if it's for you because they are. And God is faithful to his word. He cannot lie. In scripture, the promise of God is the declaration or the assurance that God has given in his word of bestowing blessings on his people, on us. That's his promise. When he makes a promise to us, it's his assurance that he is going to bestow blessings on us. And there are so many scriptures and promises throughout the Bible. And I know like me, you know them and you hold on to them. And you believe them. And some of, some of my favorites, some of the ones that just came to mind was like Matthew 11 and 28. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or Isaiah 40 and 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles. And they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Or how about Philippians 4 and 19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Or Philippians 1 and 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who's begun a good work in you will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. Or Galatians 6 and 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we sh shall reap if we faint not. Those are wonderful, wonderful promises of God that we hold to. We we we. We just pray about it, and we constantly, I, I do, constantly in my mind, if there's something, that there's a season in life that I'm going through something, difficult weeks, I have to pray these promises of God, and I have to cling to them, because we, it's not something that we just believe, but we cling to them, because we can trust the God who made those promises. So we've been talking about Mary this month, and I would really love to read the entire first chapter of Luke to you. But there are 80 verses in that first chapter. So we've got maybe 30 minutes to finish this lesson. So I won't read all 80 to you. But being that it is Christmas and the week of Christmas, I do really recommend you take some time to read the first couple of chapters of Luke. But in Luke, obviously it's one of the Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament. And so prior to this, God has basically been silent for 400 years. And here we come to the first chapter and the gospel of Luke and some significant things just happen immediately. All of a sudden, silence 400 years and all of a sudden two angelic visitations. That's not a common thing. So it's an indication that something big and significant is happening. And the first angelic visitation in the chapter is to Zacharias and um, the priest. And he, the, the angel tells him that, you and your wife are going to expect a son. We know that that's John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And then Gabriel appears to Mary in the second visitation. And he looks at her and he calls her blessed and highly favored. Now, today, I often see that phrase. Um, it's kind of become a common thing. And, and people hashtag blessed and, 
and normally it's attached to maybe a picture of someone got a nice little Christmas bonus and hashtag blessed and highly favored or hey I got a really great bargain blessed and highly favored and it's not that I doubt or even object to God's ability to bless us but I don't believe that God's favor is just relegated to making our lives convenient or happy. Being blessed and favored is something spiritual. There's something supernatural that enables us to fulfill God's purpose. That's what it means to be blessed and highly favored. That's what the angel meant when he was talking to Mary. But Mary was given a promise, and she was given a few promises, but in this in this chapter, she was given the promise that she would give birth to the Messiah. And although she didn't understand it, she accepted it. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Luke 1.38, where Mary said, Be it unto me. Be it unto me. I don't understand. I've got a lot of questions here. But she said, despite having full understanding, despite the probability of being ostracized and ridiculed, I'm going to choose to obtain the promise of God. I love it. What a lesson to be learned when you're faced with, well, I don't know about this. I'm going to choose to stand upon the promise of God, be it unto me. And it, it continues in Luke chapter 145 to where the verse reads, I love this verse too. It says, blessed is she who believed, talking about Mary, because there's the promise, it says, for their will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I hold to that. When God tells me something, I don't think that was just for Mary, but when God tells me something, I have to hold to that. that there's going to be a fulfillment of those things that God spoke to me. I believe that. And at the end of the chapter, it kind of ends, there's 80 verses, it ends with Zechariah again. And he starts to prophesy about the Messiah that's to come. And I want to read just a portion of that prophecy in Luke chapter 1 68 through 75 he said blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people and he hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David and he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have since which have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. And verse 74 says that he would grant unto us that, again, we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I did not know the story of Jesus... I had never heard the story about Jesus. Before reading that prophecy about the Messiah and how he would be this deliverer and how he's going to just rescue people out of things, I would probably imagine and picture someone that was kind of like Samson, just a strong and a mighty warrior that could just go and just defeat anything. That's how I would describe that reading that, that prophecy. But I know the story of Jesus. You know the story of Jesus. And he did not come as this mighty Samson-like warrior, this mighty David, King David-like warrior. He came down. He did not come down looking like this deliverer. He came down looking more like a dependent, a baby. 
He wasn't dressed in power and in armor, but he was dressed in swaddling clothes and lied in a manger. And what that tells me is that God's going to fulfill his promises. It may not be how we imagine. It may not be like we expected. It may not come to our specifications. Because when I read that prophecy and I'm picturing Samson, that's not how I thought. That's not my specifications of a deliverer. But if we're going to obtain his promises, the first thing we have to do is surrender our expectations. Have to surrender our expectations. So many times we say, well, God... You know how you can bless me? I'll just tell you specifically, $1 million. Right? Or every morning when I step on the scale, God, five pounds lighter. Right? We can tell God how to bless us. We can tell him what our expectations are. But if we want his promises, the first thing we have to do is throw that out the window. Because I'm going to tell you, Jesus did not fit the mold of the Jewish expectation. And that's why many people rejected his teaching. They had many misconceptions. So if we went all the way back to the Moesic covenant between blessings and cursing, that's what Moses taught. There's blessings and there's cursings. Well, the Jews felt that they had blessings here and now. They viewed things in terms of physical or material prosperity. They viewed blessings. It's going to be physical. God's going to bless you here. God's going to give you this. And that's how they viewed. They didn't see it in terms of grace like Jesus did. They didn't, and they certainly did not associate it with suffering. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 16, Peter even rebuked Jesus when he started talking about his own suffering. Because to the Jews, if you are pious and you are righteous and all this, then you are going to be prospered. And if you suffered, that means you were a sinner. Think about Job and his friends, right? You're suffering because you've sinned. But that's not Jesus. So the majority of Jews rejected Jesus because he failed to meet their expectations and their specifications. So to the shock of the men of the day, Jesus taught precisely the opposite of their view. In Luke chapter 6 and 20, he said, Blessed be the poor, not the rich. He said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then he said, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil, for the Son of Man's sake. It said, Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Well, the Jews would never have thought that the sorrowful, and that the hungry, and the poor would be the ones to inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus turned the teaching of the Jews completely upside down. And the ones that the Jews called a curse, Jesus called blessed. And it made no sense to the Jews. So the ones that he called blessed, me, you, we understand what he was saying. We understand those promises of God. We know that he's given us something that the world didn't give and that the world can't take away. We understand when Paul wrote later in Corinthians, when he said, we're troubled on every side. But we're not distressed. That we're perplexed. But we're not in despair. He said that we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. And we're cast down, but we're not destroyed. We understand that. And I'm thankful for those promises. I I hold to that. I know that God's blessings are real. And his promises are true. And so if we go back to Zechariah's prophecy, we read that in, in, in those verses that I read to you about how 
their deliverer would come and rescue them out of and deliver them from their oppression and from their enemies and obstacles. But there's, I noticed a shift. If you go to verse 79, there's kind of, the, of a shift there when he talks about the Messiah. Because then he says that the Messiah is going to give them light to them that sit in. It's no longer from or take out of or rescue. He said, but give them light that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So notice it didn't say that he's going to take us out of or rescue us from the darkness or from the valley. He's not going to just take us out of the valley, but it says that he's going to visit us in the shadow of death, and he's going to guide our feet to the way of peace. So that promise shifted from rescuing to visiting us, to meeting us at our need, to meeting us where we are. And that tells me that the promise of God is not just is not in the absence of suffering. So to me, the Jews were were wrong. It was they were misconceived that that there was not going to be there was never a promise of a perfect suffer free life. But the the promise was in the fact that His presence was going to be with us in the midst of every situation. He never promised us a perfect life, but when we walk through the valley, He promised us that we would not walk alone. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So the promise wasn't fulfilled, maybe as Zechariah would have imagined, or maybe even as Mary would have imagined, or maybe even as we have imagined. I would say the promise kind of looked unlikely, kind of would, would cause some people to be skeptical. Because, you know, it, the promise wasn't found in just human strength. It was actually found in weakness. He came in, he came in as weakness, as a baby, in an unlikely place, in a manger, Surrounded by unlikely people, shepherds, he waited 30 years to start his ministry. And he limited that ministry to three years. He chose 12 unlikely disciples, very basic, lowly men to mentor. He didn't choose from the strong and the talented and the educated. He performed so many miracles. He preached to the multitudes, but the world still could not accept him for who he was God manifested in the flesh. So from the outside, that promise looked unlikely. But God works and he specializes in the unlikely. Some of his greatest miracles have been in unlikely places and through unlikely people and in unlikely situations. Even in my life, God has met me in the most unlikely places in life I would have never expected to find God. But that's where he specializes in. And it's, hard, and, it, and it's in his heart to imagine unlikely yet prophetic and miraculous birth. And that wasn't the only promise that was fulfilled. So he continues to go. So we know Jesus was born. It was a miracle. We believe that, he's the, that he is God in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he grows to be a man. And he continues to speak prophetically and promises to us that we still hold to this day. And in John chapter 12, verse 32, he spoke prophetically to the disciples about what would happen on the cross. He declared, and if I be lifted up from the earth, so that's basically you figure he's going to be lifted up to the cross and, okay, and he's going he's gonna to die and he's going to be lifted up from the earth and he will draw all men to him. So even in death, he promised it's not the end. Calvary wasn't an end. It was just a fulfillment of a, prof, of a promise. And it's still happening. Jesus is still drawing people to himself. To this day, he's still drawing people into himself. 
But he promised his followers that the comforter would come. And shortly after he made that promise, he was crucified. And his mother Mary watched there at his feet. And I think about, especially as a mother, how incredibly heartbreaking that had to have been. It's hard to even um, try to even imagine it. I can't. My mind just won't go there. But my mind does go back to her declaration that she made three decades prior, be it unto me. And I wonder if that crossed her mind, that you're sitting there and you're watching your son die, and you're saying, no, I made a promise, be it unto me. God's got something. God's not done yet. And I think even at the day watching her son die, she was still fully submitted to God's plan and God's purpose, despite not fully understanding what was going on here, or not even liking the way that this promise had to be fulfilled, that Jesus would die at the hands of sinful men. Again, not the way we would imagine a mighty deliverer. But he came in weakness, and he died in weakness to become our strength and to fulfill the promise of salvation. After the crucifixion, it appeared that all hope was lost, and a lot of people did. It was a very, very sad time. But three days later, hope was restored because Jesus was alive, just like he promised. And promises that seemed to have been broken, they were fulfilled. And after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he was seen among many people before he ascended into heaven. Calvary wasn't the end. The resurrection wasn't the end. They were just more promises that Jesus fulfilled. And at Luke 24 and 49, Jesus said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So they waited. As they were instructed, 120 of them, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, they waited in the upper room for the fulfillment of this new promise, power from on high. Power from on high. I don't know if they expected power in the physical form, like God's just going to give us big, strong muscles, or there's going to be some super powers. We're all going to be superheroes. But the promise was fulfilled with a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues like as a fire. And what happened on the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus had given. Peter that day preached the greatest promise ever given to humanity in Acts 2.38 to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I think about Mary being there in that upper room and Mary hearing the words of Peter that day and I wonder if her mind went back to those three decades before and said, be it unto me, be it unto me that she's going to receive, she's going to receive the promise of God. And she did. She prayed, she believed, and she had received the promise too, the gift of the Holy Ghost. The one who had carried Jesus, the promise as a baby, was now filled with the promise of the Holy Ghost. The promise there on that day of Pentecost didn't end there. We too here on the brink of 2020 can receive that same promise. Actually, Peter continued, right? He 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 could. He, after Acts 2.38, he continued to say, that promise is unto you and unto your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's you and me. We're right there in Acts 2.39. He's still fulfilling that promise. I, 
I actually read a report this week that said that in our North American Mission Church plants, 2,660 souls were filled with the Holy Ghost in 2019. God is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his promise. People still receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. People are still being healed. People are holding on. You think people are losing hope and people are, aren't holding on to the promises of God, but there's still some that are. There are still that are there's still some that are realizing this thing is real. Thank God for it. And I think some of that miraculous part comes from the fact that God doesn't look for people with great abilities. He just looks for people, or will you believe it? Will you cling to my promises? Despite what circumstances that you find yourself in. Because a believer knows it's never really about the circumstance. It's just about the God of the circumstance. And there's more. It didn't end there. It didn't end on Calvary. It didn't end at the resurrection. It didn't end on the day of Pentecost. The promises don't end there. I believe that even as believers, if we've been believers for all our life, I believe that there's still more promises of God for us. And I believe there's a key to it. And the key to, to receiving the promise of God is by exercising our faith. You know, we can be skeptical about promises that are made with other people and, and institutions or what have you, but not with God. And I know a lot of us that have been in church and you can quote those same promises that I did earlier. We can quote them. And we can say them, we can even say, yeah, I believe that, that God will give me rest. But it's something different to really believe it. Not just say it. Not just, well, I've done this all my life. So it's just a routine. It's just mundane. Because that's where that skepticism can, can come in. Well, you know, he said he'd never leave me, but I don't think he's here. It's more than just saying we believe him. It's really believing him. Because things happen in life, and uncertainty and doubt and fear can creep in. We can be walking and living in the Spirit and be led by truth, believing His Word, and all of a sudden start to hear the voice of an enemy. Well, are you sure? Well, really look at you. Your life is a mess. That's life. You're living right, but you still hear these voices sometimes. And that voice will try to con contradict God's promises and he's going to make you try to doubt God's promises. But I want to tell you that God's not going to give you a promise and then say, I didn't mean that. He's not going to call you a mess without giving you the solution to that mess or meeting you in that mess or cleaning up the mess. <laughs> but with the question we have to ask ourselves is, who are we going to believe? Because we can't believe God's truths and Satan's lies at the same time. Exercising our faith means believing God over every other voice that tries to come in and contradict what he has said. So I think about, have, through this lesson in the last 35 minutes, have, have some promises come to your mind that maybe God's given you? I want to tell you this, what good is that promise if you're not going to believe it? If it's there and you've doubted, it's there and you've feared, and it's there and you've maybe forgotten about it and you've laid it on a shelf and it's collecting dust, what good is it if you're not going to believe it? 
I want to encourage you that you can believe God. You can trust God, that you can rest assured. You can lay your head at night and rest assured that God will do as he promised, that you can stand on his word forever. It will be forever true. I'm going to close a couple minutes. Sorry, it's a little bit less than two hours, but with this scripture, Hebrews 10 and 23, it says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I've always said my favorite attribute of God is that he's faithful. There's nothing like a faithful friend. There is nothing like, I've always said, I just thank God that he's faithful. When I forget to call on him, when I forget to, to thank him, oh, he's so faithful. How many times have we written people off because, man, we've, they've just tried our patience way too much. But God don't do that. Thank God for his faithfulness. I'm so thankful that he is faithful. So God's initial promise was fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. And I want to tell you that many more will be fulfilled at Jesus' next coming. He promised us that he has gone to prepare a place for us and that he will come again to receive us unto himself, that where he is, we may be also. I hold to that. Every day of my life, I remember my grandma saying, hey, we're closer to the coming of God. We're one day closer today than, we're closer today than we were yesterday. He, Jesus is coming soon. There's no doubt. I believe that. I believe you can look around. It doesn't take much to, to understand the, the situation the world is in. And thank God we have that hope and that promise that we can cling to, that God has gone to prepare a place for us, that if we, live this, if we leave this world, we're gone to live with Jesus. I'm thankful for that promise, that he is faithful, and that his word is trustworthy, and his promises are true. He is faithful, I promise, to keep each and every one. And like Joshua said, not one promise will fail. Not one promise will fail. So I encourage everyone today to hold fast. Don't waver. Know that God is faithful. Ask God to bless you. Wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Ask you to stand and we'll pray before we greet each other. Can we just thank God for his promises? Lord Jesus, you are so great, God, and so faithful, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness today. We thank you, God, that you're trustworthy, God. That, Lord Jesus, we can stand on your promises and your words, and we know that they're true. Today, God, I ask you, Lord, to be God, the Prince of Peace, Lord, to all your people, Lord. I pray, God, that you would encourage us, God, in spirit, God. Lord Jesus, in every situation, God, that you would be a present help, God. Lord, in the midst of trouble, God, that you will walk with us, God. Use us, Lord, for your glory, God. May your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I love you, God, and I thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Would you please greet everyone and you can jingle back to your seat. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 
or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.